Hello, everyone. You're listening to Digital Builder, a podcast brought to you by Autodesk, made for construction professionals who want to hear from those on the forefront of construction technology. If you're looking for conversations centered around where the industry is going, this podcast is for you. Each episode will feature a conversation with a construction industry leader. Together, we'll dig in on themes related to connected construction and discuss where the future of the construction industry is headed. Now let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Autodesk's Digital Builder Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Thomas. This week, we're discussing staff training and technology in construction, how on-demand training should play a big part in your business, and the importance of cultivating the right technology skills in your workforce. I'm joined today to tell this story by Brian Pappas, the Senior Business Transformation Engineer, and Nick Bobbitt, also a Business Transformation Manager at Barton Mallow. Thanks for joining me today, guys. I really appreciate it. Eric, we really appreciate the time. You know, really glad to be here and talk a bit more about our company's experience with our uh, on-demand training and onboarding for our software systems. Yeah, you've been doing some cool stuff. And Brian, we've had the pleasure of working together on a, a past webinar. So anybody listening should go check that out if you're interested in hearing about how they work with General Motors. Very fun conversation there. But today, it's all going to be about training in construction, on-demand training, and, and learning a bit more about what your team has brought to the table in the last few years and, and how it's really impacted your business. But I wanted to start off today just setting the, the stage and a baseline for everybody out there listening. Brian, can you give me a high-level overview of the typical approach to training in the AAC industry that you've seen? I think a great way to put it is going back to my, I started my career at Barton Mallow originally when I, when I was hired on, a large portion of my job was traveling from site to site and providing process training for various different softwares for various different project teams, and particularly in the automotive sector. But like with that in mind, it's it's largely based on on-site visits, large group trainings, regular check-in phone calls, and it's not what I would say a very centralized process. So really, we're looking at each, you know, in the past, really looking at each project as an individual as opposed to thinking holistically about the company. That's what I've seen in the last few years, but we've made some improvements to that, obviously. Yeah, and going a little further back, things could even be worse. Printed manuals, today even PDFs, things like that that are static. You know, a whole lot of ad hoc questions come up later on in the process. This is really a disjointed effort. And, and I think the, the length of time that a lot of these trainings shape up to be, and, and we've all been in those rooms, either sitting in the seat or potentially up in front of the room, leading them. And it's just tough to get people to engage for three, four or five hours, especially when all of that training doesn't necessarily meet them where they need to, to get all of those skill sets. And so I'm excited to learn a bit more about how you've pivoted and, and made some of those changes. But Nick, I'd, I'd love it if you could talk a little bit more about some of the challenges that you've seen come from that approach. And I think that'll set us up for talking about why you've made some changes yourself at, at your organization. Yeah, I mean, there's there's quite a list of, of reasons why those aren't great or weren't great in the past. But obviously, travel costs, as Brian mentioned, traveling from site to site incurs costs. There's time just in traveling around the country. Scheduling issues, you know, you've got teams of individuals, maybe you're trying to get 15 or 20 people together. It's very difficult to do that. You're not going to get most people or not all of them together in the same room at the same time for you know a very, very long session. As you mentioned, these can typically be all-day trainings or multiple-day, all-day trainings because you're trying to make the most of the time you have together when you do get everyone together. 
it's difficult to go back to the content, right? I mean, if you're sitting in a room and looking at a PowerPoint, you might get that as a takeaway or maybe a handout, but you know, you can't really go back to what you learned or what you heard from the person that was there to help you out. And updating content's always a problem, right? You know, if anything is static in time, as we know, the, the world is changing fast these days. SaaS products are changing daily, weekly, and you've got to be able to update that content and account for those changes that have been happening. Yeah, for sure. And then another thing that I'd like to add to that as well is that when you're talking about not only just the dynamics and the changing of content and organizing groups of people is that when you're outside of a local region, let's say, for example, you want to get 15 to 20 people together for a training, chances are, you know, you're going to get some cancellations, then you show up and then, you know, there's 60% of the people that you expected to be there are there. And then one guy misses it. And then he has questions afterwards, then you have to re-explain it again. So it's not even just the effort of getting to the place that you have to go in order to provide that training and preparing the training and and having to give the, the standard message that you normally give, but also the fact that People are going to miss it or people are going to uh, ask you to re-explain things and it creates a lot of complication, especially when you're traveling halfway across the country. Yeah, it's there, there's so many opportunities for either a disconnect or missing somebody and then not to mention if you're trying to bring something new to an active project team, having a large portion of your staff step away for an eight-hour training, there's a lot of impacts to that as well. And nobody wants to step behind and schedule, even if the the training that they're implementing is super important. So finding that that flexibility, I think, is is super important, which leads into my, my next question now. Brian, what is this different approach that you've started to implement now that you've started digesting the reasons that you both just shared on why the historical approach doesn't work? And also, what was the reason for making that change? Like, what what was the catalyst that made you go, aha, let's do something different? Sure, absolutely. So I think the biggest thing was about three, I'd say towards the end of 2018 and into 2019, our company as a whole started looking into the process of switching over into BIM 360 as our primary document management and project management system. But when we're talking across a large company in the Midwest, in order to make that transition effectively, you need to be more efficient than, say... I'm going to go to this project, I'm going to go to this project, I'm going to go to this office. So we started looking at the concept of on-demand training. And we so we've been using on-demand training to, uh, to train on all of our core systems and for all of our construction projects. So really, that and part of that mindset shift is switching from that just that on-site visit and having to repeat the same information over and over manually with one, a person's time, say, for example, my time. But now switching, so, there's, so there's, there's that component. So I have to go to the project. I have to give that speech. But then also we're switching the idea of training as not being a, like a one-time event, but more so being a library of content that people can revisit whenever needed. And that's another reason why we've, we've chosen to go down the path of the on-demand training system. It helps, helps us expand our, the, leverage of our, our, the leverage of our training across our organization more effectively by going on-demand for key products as opposed to in-person. And we're asking, you know, our project teams to engage in technology earlier and earlier. Technology in the construction industry is only increasing, and we want our teams to be engaged as early as possible. And they can't wait three to four weeks for us to schedule a training to send somebody out there to get the proper people in place to to do that. And then, again, to a point earlier, that only half the people are show up and are available. By the time everyone's up and running, the project's behind in terms of training on the technology. And it feels like an intentional pivot 
to meet the times and how people consume technology and the level of technology deployment on projects these days as well. Because if, if you look at 10 or 15 years ago, it likely was a bit easier to capture some of those workflows in a more focused, here's an eight hour thing, here's some stuff that you're using. Don't forget your binder when you, you know, walk out to the project site. And that world is so much different. And with so many tools, I know for me personally, I'm just thinking about just the tech that I use. There's nuances that I forget because I don't do it every day. And for my ability to jump back and go, oh, we, I, I have a video that I had a buddy of mine record for two minutes or something that shows me how to do this. I can go watch that every two months and do the task successfully. I bother nobody and I'm able to, to get my job done. And if I had to chase that guy every single time to say, hey, friendly colleague that has shown me how to do this four times, I forgot again. It's not exactly an efficient, uh, <laughs> efficient approach by the, by the end of the day. So yeah, Eric, and commenting on that, just thinking a little bit more about what you had said is that one of the things that like I've experienced many times going out to a project and in training a large group of people, or even just a few people, is when you sit there and you talk with them for, let's just say training's three hours, you're talking with them and you could just see their eyes glazing over, especially when you're talking about, you know, I'm going to click this button to send this submittal, and then I'm going to click this button to return this submittal. People only have so much people only have so much bandwidth for that at one time, and it's understandably so. So by having an on-demand training system in which we break our videos out, so let's say, for example, we have an entire process, which is how we process an RFI uh, from start to finish, right? Instead of looking at it as, hey, you're going to watch this 20 or 30-minute video that walks you through the whole RFI process, we're going to have individual bite-sized videos that are approximately one to three minutes, depending on the content. And that will be composed of like, hey, how do I create an RFI? How do I send an RFI? And for our design teams, how do I review an RFI? So on and so forth. And, and by breaking out into those small chunks, we also contribute back to that library of content where individuals can feel able to go back and say, hey, I don't really remember how to return an RFI or I don't remember how to return a submittal. And I can just go back to the place where I learned originally and I can watch a two-minute video that quickly and concisely explains it to me. And you don't have to go trying to find in some long video 30 minutes long, exactly which second marker that part was at. And it makes it more accessible and consumable for people when they're looking for our content. I'm over here just furiously nodding because it's it's such a logical way to approach it. And it makes, it, it empowers everybody in a way that even if you had the 30 or 60 minute videos isn't necessarily there because they've got a hunt now. So they're, they're either wasting time or they don't want to hunt. So they go bother you anyway, even though they could have found the video themselves with a bit more effort. But the other element of this that I think is important to remember too, is the way people learn differs from person to person. And so that six hour, three hour, even one hour live run through might not be the best way for somebody on your team to absorb that information and creating it to be accessible after the fact so they can assess it on their own terms and within the way that they learn just makes it even more likely that the teams are going to have the information that you need and they're going to be executing in a way that you think or, or would like everybody to be doing much more so than if you were throwing a bunch of binders out on everybody's desk and saying, cool, you know how to use all the stuff, right? <laughs> So Nick, I've got a I've got a question for you. I was hoping you could talk a little bit more about what your training looks like in the real world, whether it's on demand or when you do gather people in person and, and just kind of give some more examples of what that deployment's looking like at Barton Mallow today. So Brian touched on a lot of it there on the on demand piece, you know, making it easily accessible 
to the exact content you need, making sure it's short and organized so you know exactly what you're looking for and you can find it again if you want to go back and, and look at it. You know, even YouTube videos nowadays, long videos start uh, when you search for things, tell you, hey, this is where we think you want to go in the video so you can get back to just kind of the piece you need. So we've kind of followed that, that aspect of things. Our training is also persona-based, which I think is important because not everybody on the project needs to know the same information. So we have trainings specific to field team members consuming data out in the field, specific to members that are processing things like RFIs, submittals, so on and so forth, our, even our AE teams, owners, how they can access things. And all those trainings are different and specific to what they need to do so that, you know, you're not telling an owner to take training on how to slip sheet drawings. That's not important to them and it doesn't need to be there. So it's just what's relevant to them. And the other piece of this too is, is that all of our training isn't on demand entirely as well. I mean, we still have a, a great team of VDC folks that are out there meeting with project teams on site, probably not doing eight hour trainings like we did in the past, but supplementing these things because as you mentioned, everybody does learn a little bit differently and you do, just, do need to have that uh, personal interaction from time to time. So it's, a, it's kind of a best of both worlds and want to make sure that we're providing our team members all the options to get the training that they need. I, I love all of that. And it's, it's, I think it's so important. The persona part is, is kind of what lit up in my mind because everybody who's consuming that now feels like you're speaking to them directly. And also they're not buried in content that doesn't apply to them. And it's not that they don't care, but especially when is everybody is in construction, so time constrained to not have to parse through unrelated stuff and capture that asset that you need right in that second is, is great. So it's encouraging to hear like the days of, you know, a shared Google Drive or something with 900 mislabeled videos or PDFs or whatever is, is starting to go by the wayside. I don't think that model scales for anybody at this stage. Brian, I've got, a, I've got a question for you. So it sounds like you're creating a great deal of, of content, which is awesome because it's, it's empowering your team in such a great way. How has your team that's actually creating this improved the content that you've developed as, as the org move forward? Like, what does that process look like? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think it's important to break that into two parts. So initially, when developing our trainings, generally speaking, we'll have some sort of a focus group. We'll grab a cross-section of people, maybe five to 10 people, and ask them to go through each of the trainings, ask, you know, hey, was there anything that was unclear? Is there anything that you felt like you needed more of? Was everything in place, right? So, so we would hold those focus groups, and we would use that to make an initial round of improvements before something gets deployed officially. But then after that point, each of our trainings has a, a response. Like right before you finish the training, you're required to provide feedback at the end. And then that feedback is – so you have to provide the feedback in order to get the completion. And then once you get the completion – we receive that feedback, and then we can use it to iteratively make changes to the training. So there's there's been a lot of times where somebody will tell us, "Hey, I do, like I don't have this information. You know, I could use a little bit more clarity on this. You know, and whether that comes through the form or somebody reaching out individually, but the form is our standard for gathering that feedback and then making iterative improvements to our, our training platform. And also, well, like Nick was mentioning earlier, talking about SaaS products, how they change all the time, is sometimes we just need to add things, right? And and it's good. It's 
it's extremely important, not just for us to be watching how things are changing, but also for people who are actually working using the software to say, hey, I need to know more about this functionality. Can we add this? Or And then we'll work with our teams internally to determine how does that training get developed and then how does it get deployed. And we can look at specific metrics too, talking about specifically the on-demand training. I know in our, our early days, we found that you know some of our post-processing of videos, we were just learning and maybe there was a video that had 10 seconds of, of nothing at the end and people weren't finishing it and then and it says that they didn't complete the lesson. So we learned like, hey, we've got to go back, we've got to fix that. Like there's a reason that, you know, 70% of the people that watch this lesson didn't complete it. Simple things like that. Or is there a quiz question through in there that's just too hard or doesn't make sense or was worded incorrectly? You know, hey, everybody's getting this wrong. So now that we have that ability to look at some metrics, we can make improvements just based on that as well. And I think it, it really does come back to the fact that you've created a bit of a feedback loop that not everybody necessarily is implemented tied to training as well. And I think this applies to just technology deployment at large, not just training itself, but when people feel that they do have a voice or can engage with you in a meaningful way to, to have some sort of impact, people pay a heck of a lot more attention and also just feel much more involved. Like there, there's wins for everybody. And then it empowers you guys to do your jobs better because you have that information and you're actually listening and want it because you want to make sure everybody has access to content that is useful and good for them versus slowly slipping back into our old model of, of eight to 10 hour trainings and just general sadness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I think one thing to add on onto that as well, which is, um, one of the big parts of the on-demand training is I don't, first and foremost, I don't think that it's, it's, I don't think that it's very effective to start an on-demand training platform without having the proper feedback incorporated because, so the idea is that when you're looking at all the time that you invest in training currently and you're trying to figure out, hey, how do I economize and make this process more effective for our project teams, you get, you, you need that feedback. Otherwise, we're just doomed to have a a dinosaur of a training platform that isn't helping anybody. And then people are going to come back and ask the questions anyways. So setting that up the way that we have, I think, has been very beneficial. Yeah, there's there's definitely an intentional approach to structuring that. But I think that comes back to even just software deployment or tech deployment or anything, really. Look before you leap. Like, think about what you really are trying to drive by making this change. And if you haven't thought through that in full, you might have some unexpected hiccups just because you're figuring out what you want while you're actively deploying the thing, which doesn't necessarily work so well for your people at the end of the day either, which is generally not so much fun. But Nick, I've got a question for you. And I think it's a bigger picture. We've we've really qualified that there's a, a big reason to do this. And there's a lot of value in updating your approach to training and creating this on-demand approach where appropriate and supplementing with in-person. But I would love it if you could share if you have any insights about how this has impacted company performance or how you're able to analyze the company performance in a more effective way compared to before you started making all of these changes. There's a, there's a lot that we can't measure in the past, obviously, with that in-person training. I can tell you that from personal experience that it's definitely our performance is better. We're getting to more people. What we can do is analyze that today uh, a little bit better that we couldn't do even four or four or five years ago. We can see how many people are, are getting training. How often are they going back to look at it? How many people are we reaching outside of our own company as well? 
I mean, we've got statistics now that we've, we just never had in the past. And, you know, I, so we can't compare them measurably, but um, just looking at some numbers from like the last 90 days in our system, we had almost 800 active users, over 600 new users, and over 600 hours of, of training consumed just in the last 90 days. And there's just no way that we could have we could have done that much, you know, five years ago without this. And I think the big piece of that is is looking at how much of those people, how much time are the people that are going back in to reference things. That's the piece that we just, we, we didn't have because we weren't going back to project teams over and over again to share the same training, you know, multiple times. It just, it just didn't happen. So that is a hundred percent gain from that perspective. And to add on to that a little bit more as well is that one of the big things that we, which has been an initiative that Nick and I both have been working on over the last couple of months is, is to produce an adoption scorecard, which allows us to see, which allows us to use this training information and to look at it in tandem with the actual usage of our program so we can see how we're adopting new platforms and how effectively is it being used. And I think that the training as well as the usage information go hand in hand allow us to create some pretty important metrics for us. And I love the fact that you you just you have this data now and you can implement action from that in so many different ways. One, you of course, as you both just alluded to, you you have information to assess how people are actually engaging, but you can also look at things like this video never got watched ever again, ever. Like, why? <laughs> you can ask questions about it. Like, was it because it wasn't frame correctly because it's not useful and such. So you can start assessing the effectiveness of everything that you're doing. And then also, I think you can also identify the, the power users that you have across your group and help them influence others to start jumping in and using the training or adopting different technology elements and such too. So I think more is better and being able to measure performance against that just improves your approach across the board. But Brian, I've got a, I've got a question that leads from this. And I was wondering, how has this impacted workflows and the way people are actually capturing and managing data now that you've increased or improved your approach to training at large? I think that that's one of the most important and beneficial aspects of this on-demand training as well as the fact that we are able to standardize our processes, especially in training. So when we're talking about a a drawing management process or a submittal process, in the past, looking back, let's just say six years ago, using a variety of different softwares, and there's a lot of interpretation around how something can be done, right? Which is which was fine in its time and its place. But now as we're looking at using more unified systems to accomplish our goals for document and project management, by having a platform that has a standardized approach to how do we run each of our processes? How are things documented? And then how are things closed out? We're starting to see that our projects are starting to look more similar. So say, for example, if I'm on one project, I could effectively transition to another and still have a feel of, hey, these processes work the same way, they're more standardized, and it's because of, you know, it start, I think that it starts with the core of having a standardized training. So we definitely see like increases in consistency in our process, standardization in our practices, which is something that, you know, was depending on the program was a little bit more difficult to keep it in, in one lane in the past. So I think what one of the biggest things though is that by having the on-demand training, it gives individuals self-reliance and autonomy. So they, they have the ability to go and find the information, seek information by themselves, as opposed to having to come to one or two or a few people for answers and information for everything. Not to say that that's 
Not to say that 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 isn't necessary anymore. As Nick had alluded to earlier, we still have on-site representation and project visits and all that because it is it is necessary sometimes to talk specifically about workflows. But the basics of the basics, the standard practices across all of our projects to have that in one place and effectively documented in our on-demand training allows people to go and seek and find information and then also communicate that information to others. Additionally, a big part of this is being able to just take the link to a training and send it to somebody else. So, and this is not just a huge benefit for our team. This is a benefit for all of the project engineers and project managers on our projects because if they're working with a subcontractor and they say, hey, I don't know how to submit a submittal, instead of having to set up a workshop and spend 30 minutes to an hour explaining a process and then and now a subcontractor hires on a new individual and then that person needs to be trained again, right? All you need to do is just take a URL and send it and say, hey, this is how you submit a submittal and that URL can be shared and, you know, and used throughout time. And even if that video gets updated in the future, you still have the link to the video and you have all the latest updates in the process. So... It's just a much more effective way to go, not just not even just from a, a, an administrative perspective, but it, it makes everybody's lives easier. Yeah, and Brian talked very specific about the consistency and standardization. But you know, really to add to the the why is that important to us is that gives us the ability to report across projects. If data is not consistent, you can't report across the enterprise. And if you can't report across the enterprise, we can't make good decisions moving forward on if things need to be changed or processes need to be improved and not only delivering consistent project experiences between our own teams. Brian gave the example of a project engineer moving from one job to the next, but think about it from the client's perspective or from the subcontractor's perspective. They don't want things to be different from one job to another and especially the client. They, you know, they expect that consistent brand experience and we're trying to provide that and it all starts with standardizing from training. I'm I'm furiously nodding over here and if <laughs> if you haven't read the hardesting the data advantage in construction which is a report we released last year with FMI it talks about this at length and it was a, a fun project to get into because that standard approach maps back to everything both of you just said if you're not able to apply apples to apples within one project and how people are capturing data, managing things, working through your workflows, much less from project to project, it makes it so hard to have a meaningful shot at analyzing your data, either at the project level or at the enterprise level. And being able to make meaningful choices off of data really does require some upfront housekeeping, both in setting up what you really truly want to analyze and assess, but also helping your teams understand why you need to do it consistently in this way too. Like there is an impact that has benefits to themselves and the larger group. So I think we've we've done a really nice job of qualifying the what and why behind implementing on-demand training and rethinking how you deploy on in-person training when you're actually out on the site. There's a ton to think about, and I think there's a a boatload of ROI that comes from making these changes, especially if you're being very focused about why you're you're doing this and what you want to get at the end of the day. So I, I'd like to pivot into the how of what we're actually doing and learn some from both of you on best practices, maybe some missteps that you saw that you should advise other people to avoid. So with that said, Nick, what exactly should people be thinking about first when they are considering changing the way they train their teams or they're considering this on-demand approach that we've been talking about today. Yeah, I mean, I think it all starts with the why, right? Why do you need to make this change? Is it because you're low on resources to go travel in person? Is it financially related? 
just based on cost? Is it because you're trying to get some consistency in your data or in your process? Uh, is it some other driver? Like what is the driver and is it multiple factors, but really mapping that out because to change to change doesn't usually work very well. And even thinking like, does something like on-demand work for the topic you're training on? I'm thinking about something like drones. You know, you can't learn how to fly a drone by watching a video. You can learn some basics, but you got to put your hands on a controller and go out in the real world with the object and, and use it. So some things just, just aren't the right format for that. And conversely, some things are 100% great in a, in a nice, short, concise video. So it's really determining why you need to do it and what's the right way to make that change. It makes sense. And, and really implementing a, a strategic process as you get that going feels like the right approach. And I, I chuckled a minute ago because it would be a very exciting moment to hand somebody a two or three or $4,000 drone and go, here's your five minute YouTube video. Could you please go do some uh, site scanning for us or whatever and uh, hope that that doesn't land in somebody's adjacent pool or something equally disruptive to your project. <laughs> But Brian, I, I want to pitch this next one to you because I know you were, you were more in the weeds with the actual deployment of a lot of the training. So can you tell me more about the standards that you're applying to your own team, either when they're creating new programs that others, are, others out there should consider applying themselves if they're building out these, these types of approaches? So I kind of mentioned one earlier, I would say, you know, based on our experience, I think it's been a, a big success for us to focus on the, the short and sweet and simple, concise, consumable videos, right? One, one to three minutes explaining individual subcomponents of a process, right? I think that that's been really successful for us. So I'll, I'll always start with recommending that. However, I would say that some of the things that we like to do as well that, that I think help us be one, leverage the resources that we have to be more effective, and then two, is to be more consistent with our training so that we don't have to keep redoing things, is to leverage as much information from other sources as possible. So if there's a video that we can embed from another source, take that video and put it into our training so that if there's maybe updates in the future, that helps keep things on top of it. Let's say there's a subcomponent of a process and there's a minor tweak to it. We don't have to go recreate a new video in order to explain it. Just the video gets updated and then we have an embed to it. So that's awesome. Another thing as well is that sometimes you do need to provide specifics. So if a, a process just, if a subcomponent of a process explains, you know, hey, this is how you submit a submittal, but maybe you want to provide some more information like, hey, what type of file formats are acceptable or whatever, right? So using the descriptions of the videos and visuals uh, attached with those videos to explain a bit more detail, I think is important. Uh, I think another thing that we've done, which which we, it, this has kind of changed in our mind from the beginning, and, and, I'm, and I'm glad that we've gone this direction, is when you're putting quizzes in your training, you're putting like knowledge check. I think knowledge check is the best way to put it, not a quiz. I, I think quiz is not the right term. So by having a knowledge check, which is just, it's not meant to trick anybody, right? It's, it's just meant to be like, hey, you watch the video, you consume the information, and you understand that you understand the information at its basic level, right? It's, we're not trying to like, you know, score somebody's, oh, you got it, you got an F on this, and now you got to, that's not the point. The point is to make sure that the training is effectively communicating the information that we want people to understand and experience. So I think that using simple quizzes, using simple knowledge checks is the best way to go. I like that, though, because it's really emphasizing that you're not doing a gotcha moment. The intention is not, oh, you didn't learn every single thing in this three-minute or five-minute or 15-minute video. And then also, it gives you an opportunity to say, oh, gosh, 
nobody's getting a 10 out of 10 on this quiz, maybe we missed the mark on, on the video as well. So it comes back to that feedback loop that you were talking about as well. So especially if your teams know that that's the case, like that's why that's there. I think everybody feels a lot better about it too. It really does need to be easy. You know, things as simple as like, I can't find the register button like for this course or, hey, this course on on this topic or workflow is completely different theme than this one. Like, why is that? Like, I'm confused. And if training is not easy, people won't use it. So even simple things like just making sure that the functionality of how it's presented and how people get to it, how do they access it? How do they know where they're at? All those kinds of things really do matter in the grand scheme of things. And, and it really makes a big difference in, in your adoption. Yeah, it's, it's very easy to get people to check out if the process of even getting into the training makes them angry from the start because they can't find the button or figure out how to enter their email or there's something strange there. So that's that's a really great point. And as a content guy myself, I, I'm very familiar with that process as far as the, the end user experience goes. But with all of that said, I'd love to take a peek at the future and see what you both think about how on-demand training making changes in how we deploy training in person will really impact the construction industry at large. And Nick, I'm going to put you on the spot first on this one. Like, where do you think this is going to go? Like, what, what does the future look like with this framing in mind? Well, I think the biggest component is just turning things into a self-service product. You know, instead of having to call a subject matter expert and ask questions or set up a meeting, teams can find information quickly that they need and move on to more important tasks that they're you're adding value to the project. You know, somebody looking for how to do something is, is not what we want our project teams doing out on site. I'm thinking, what do you do today if you have a question about space? You don't say, who do I know at NASA that I can call or set up a meeting with to ask this question? I do. I, I don't know what you're talking about. I call guys down at NASA all the time. <laughs> no, you, you hop on Google, you type whatever you're looking for, and you, and you find it that way. So it's it's really shifting to that same kind of mentality of like, hey, I don't have to put my job on hold to call somebody else to figure out what, what's going wrong here, what am I doing? It, it's really just turning it into a, a self-service training program and, and really helping speed things up and keeping our project teams focused on what's important, which is getting things built. And you make a huge point there, too, with regards to schedule. If the hiccup or the, the knowledge gap that somebody has is big enough and somebody isn't available that second to help answer that question, that could push some stuff like that. That could have some big impacts. And so finding ways to, to fill those gaps in a, that self-service way is, is a huge thing for the industry. And I think especially as we continue to talk about challenges with staffing and resource availability in the coming years, small things like that actually aren't as small as somebody might expect. And it has a huge ROI. So Brian, how about you? Where do you think the future of the industry is headed with regards to uh, on-demand or improved training and construction? I have two main points, which kind of piggyback off of what Nick said. So I think that one of the things that, that having this on-demand training is allowing us to do is to is to allow us for to rapidly integrate and expand new software systems. So what traditionally might have taken a year for us to onboard on will now take successively take less and less time as we use on-demand training, which is awesome. I think that another big thing as well is that 
And this is and this has to do a lot with our partnership with the companies that we are purchasing software from. So say for example with Autodesk is, is we participate in beta in beta releases or we have good conversations with our customer success team. We're more aware of what's coming down the pipeline and therefore we can start staging our on-demand training to be ready for changes in the future. And that means that a new functionality doesn't have to sit there unused for two months, three months. We can be prepared to, to launch as soon as something is available. And, and that that's something that I think, in which I think that we're starting to get in the rhythm on now. And I think that's going to have a huge benefit to not only us, but I assume other construction companies uh, in the future as well. I think that's a huge one. And it's, it's something that I'm always excited to hear is the, the partnership approach when you do pick software vendors, whether it happens to be Autodesk or somebody else, is make sure you're really looking for somebody who you can have that relationship to with because the, the impact for your business is huge. Because like you just said, two months, three months to be able to get everybody up to speed on a feature set that could have a huge impact for your business doesn't help many people. But if you do have that relationship and you can prep, there's a huge impact there. It's awesome. So I have one final question that I ask everybody that joins this podcast, and I'm very excited to ask each of you. I'm going to start with you, Nick. You're going back in the hot seat again, but I'd love to hear what is one tool that you will always carry in your toolbox, no matter what kind of project you're working on? The one thing that I always have and I use for everything is zip ties. They can just be used for for so many things, and I have bags and bags and bags of them. I can't be without them. I, I love that answer because I have like an entire bucket full in my shop right now of various sized zip ties. And I have, I have two zip tie tips for people out there who might not, might not know these two things. First zip tie tip is if your zip ties come in a plastic bag, make sure you cut the hole in the middle of the plastic bag because when you pull them out, they'll never fall out. So I'm sure everybody's lived that experience where if you cut the top off, you drop the bag, all the zip ties fly out. If you put a hole in the middle, you just pull one out at a time, it's amazing. And the other one is buy some good flush cutters because if you've got pointy sharp zip ties stuffed into your project, either you're gonna hate yourself later with bleedy hands or your friends are gonna hate you as well. <laughs> That's a good answer, Dick, I like it. Brian, how about you? What's, uh, what's one tool that you carry to uh, every project no matter what you're working on? So I, th- I think that this is a really funny one because if you would have asked me this question about a month ago, I would not have answered this, but I'm, I'm such a believer now, it's not even funny. So my Apple Watch, uh, I, would literally, I would take my Apple Watch literally anywhere because like, so, and, and it's not just for the traditional reasons, like, oh, it's got a lot of cool apps on it and stuff. It's, it's, I think it's markedly improved my life because you can keep on top of your to-do list and stuff like that. One thing is, is like, I got to stay on top of my health. So it reminds me to exercise and I've been doing really good with that. I'm actually losing weight. So that's awesome. But I think that one of the biggest things about it is that like, or, or just, I guess a smartwatch in general, you know, is that you're able to partially detach from your phone when you need to focus on something. So like one thing for me is like, say for example, I want to, um, and I, and I purposely bought the one that doesn't have the internet, like the internet connectivity it doesn't connect to my phone in that way, unless I'm within 20 yards or whatever. But the fact that I can say, you know, I'm going to go on a 10 minute walk to clear my head and I leave my phone behind and I still have all the stuff that I like, I want, like if I'm tracking something or if a to-do list, whatever on my watch, I'm thinking about things. I still have that, but I get a minute of, of peace while still being like connected. I love it. It's, it's definitely markedly improved my life. And 
a month ago, I would have said, I'll never get one of those things. But for some reason, somebody convinced me. (laughs) I'm holding mine up in the air right now. And I, I, I live your truth, Brian, because what I do is I put podcasts on it and then I'll go for a walk. And again, I can still listen to my podcast. It connects to my Bluetooth headphones just fine. But my phone is sitting on my table and I'm not going, oh gosh, I wonder if somebody has sent me a thing or, oh God, oh, I got a new push notification. I can just shut that down and either be in the moment with my walk and my podcast and, and still know what time it is and track all the stuff. So that's that's excellent. I like it. All right. So I know you're both working on some cool stuff these days. Do either of you have anything you'd like to plug or share with our listeners? You know, the construction industry is booming right now. Bart Mello is, is hiring. BartMello.com and click on careers. We've also, we're in the middle of summer now, but uh, we've got a pretty awesome LEAPS internship available every year. So if you're in college and looking for something for next year, check that out as well. Nice. Yeah. Anybody out there looking for a new gig on the DL? Sounds like Bart and Mello might be a good place to show up. Brian, how about you? Anything you'd like to share with our listeners today? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm pleased to say that Nick and I both will be speaking together with our customer success manager, Michael Bugby, at Autodesk University this year, which I'm super excited about. So I just wanted to plug our presentation. And if you're happy to be there and you want to stop in and say hello and all that, that would be see our presentation, ask questions. We'd love to have you. So and the name of our presentation is Roadmap to Successful Implementation with the Autodesk Construction Cloud. And yeah, we'd love to see you out there. And we're looking forward to a fun time in New Orleans. Heck yeah. I was actually going to plug AU a little bit as well today. Normally, I don't have anything to share. Brian, I'm so glad that you're coming because we'll get to meet in person for the first time after you've suffered through hours of being on video calls with me at this point. So that's going to be a ton of fun. So yeah, if if you are out there listening, AU is in person again this year and we're in New Orleans, which is going to be awesome. I'll have a link in the show notes to sign up for registration. There's going to be a digital element also in addition to the in-person element ton of stuff coming on and I am stoked to just return to in person again and see a lot of people I haven't had the privilege and pleasure to see in just shy of three years at this point. And then also in the theme of on-demand learning, uh, Autodesk has the Autodesk Construction Cloud Learning Center that has a ton of videos and assets very similar to what Brian has been speaking about. So if you want something to supplement your training as is or take a look at what we've put together, there's a lot of great material there for you to consume also in that on-demand snippet type format versus the six hours of in-person training that you might approach. But Nick, Brian, if uh, if our listeners have any questions for you, can you share how they can reach out and connect with you? Sure. You can connect with me on LinkedIn, just Nick Bobbitt at Barton Mellon. All right. Brian, how about yourself? Same exact thing. Just connect with me on LinkedIn. That's another another tool that I've become a huge fan of over the years. So please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. If you want to follow up and ask any questions, I would be glad to, to talk a bit more. I love doing that. So, All right. Sounds like everybody should reach out right away and uh, pester everybody with some questions, including myself. But all of you out there listening, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Digital Builder today. If you do have questions for me or if you want to suggest a guest or a theme for a future episode, surprise, you can also hit me up on LinkedIn or you can find me on Twitter at Builder underscore digital. Also, if you do love the show, please take a moment to rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. I know you probably hear this every time you listen to every podcast, but all you have to do is open the app, find Digital Builder, select the number of stars, surely it's five, that you think that we deserve super easy. And I mean I, I mean it when I say it does make a difference for us. But on that final note, goodbye. 
You've been listening to Digital Builder. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening with Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Simply tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves, and then you're done. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.